uh, turn to Ecclesiastes. We're going to be finishing our study of Ecclesiastes this morning. It, uh, in some ways, kind of flew by. I remember thinking this is going to be one long, depressing book, depending on how we, how we go about this. But it's been neat to see the encouragement um, that I've received from hearing my brothers preach this section and, and uh, that I think you guys have as well. So Solomon's going to be wrapping things up by giving us the results of his research, or as he calls it, the conclusion of the whole matter. He's been sharing kind of his unique perspective of what life is like in a fallen world, or, or what he refers to as life under the sun. Life under the sun is, is this idea of, of life only experienced in the horizontal direction and not in the vertical direction. So life apart from God. And the problem with this perspective is, is that it just it leaves God out completely. And when this is done, Solomon says that everything is vanity, meaningless, empty, futile. He even calls it evil at one point. Um, but that doesn't stop people from trying to find their best life apart from God in this world. So what Solomon's kind of done, and, and I appreciate this, he, he's done us the favor of walking down every path in the world, you know, every path the world has to offer to see what's down there, to find out, is there something apart from God for us to, to, to enjoy that will give us satisfaction. And he's come up empty. So he goes down these paths, he comes back, and he, he kind of puts up dead-end signs for us so that he can say, hey, look, I already went down there. There's nothing there for you to save us the time and the heartache of going down some of those same paths. So just disappointing dead-end after dead-end after dead-end. And so he's warning us not to waste our time going down these paths. He says it's just like chasing after the wind. Do you want to go chase after wind? Have at it, but, but you're not going to get anything from it. It's not going to work. If we choose to ignore our creator and try to find life in the world without him, we will ultimately be disappointed and, and hopeless. Everything in the end will be meaningless. But the opposite is true too. When we break through life under the sun, we break through to what's above the sun, and, and the sun breaks through that, everything becomes meaningful. Everything has purpose, and everything begins to have hope. And so he wants to make sure that we understand nothing about this life is going to make sense or be satisfying apart from knowing the one who made us. And the reason for that is God intentionally designed it that way. <laughs> Life doesn't work without him. You don't work without him. That relationship is essential for anything to work or to function correctly. So in chapter 12, he starts out by telling us to find our way to God as fast as we can. <laughs> and so we read in chapter 12 and verse 1, Remember also your creator in the days of your youth, before the evil days come and the years draw near, of which you will say, I have no pleasure in them. Before the sun and the light and the moon and the stars are darkened and the clouds return after the rain, in the day when the keepers of the house tremble and the strong men are bent and the grinders cease because they are few, and those who look through the windows are dimmed, and the doors on the street are shut when the sound of the grinding is low and one rises up at the sound of a bird and all the daughters of song are brought low. They are also afraid of what is high and terrors are in the way. The almond tree blossoms, the grasshopper drags itself along and desire fails because man is going to his eternal home and the mourners go about the streets before the silver cord is snapped or the golden bowl is broken, or the pitcher is shattered at the fountain, or the wheel broken at the cistern, and the dust returns to the earth that it was, and the spirit returns to God who gave it. Vanity of vanity, says the preacher, all is vanity. I'm going to stop there, and we'll, we'll kind of go through that, that section first. So he starts out in verse 1 by, by just pleading with us to remember our creator. 
And this isn't a call just to simply, you know, think about God every once in a while. A lot of people remember God when they, they get into trouble and they have nowhere else to turn, you know, your back's against the wall. So it's like, oh yeah, I remember there's, you know, I remember him now. I remember um, kind of at, at age 19, uh, that's about the time I became a Christian. I remember distinctly what I was like before that and what I was like after that. Before I became a Christian, I, I literally only thought about God when I really needed him. So I remember one time, this is sad, but just laying in somebody's side yard, didn't know whose house it was, rolling around in the wet grass, feeling like I was going to puke my guts out at any moment and bargaining with God. You know, I needed him at that point. Yeah, I remembered I had a creator then. It's like, can you get me out of this mess? You know, if you help me now, I'll, I'll, I'll go to church. I'll start doing the thing. You know, you do those kinds of things. You know, that's, that's about as good as it got. Um, but after becoming a Christian, all of that changed. I thought about him all day long. His presence was with me all the time. It was the, the strangest thing. I just remember him being so foreign and so far away. And now he was so up close and personal with me all the time. Um, he was a constant companion. He was a guide. He was a comforter. He was a convictor. And he was just my friend. Yeah, we sing a song that says that God is our best thought by day or by night. Waking or sleeping, his presence is, is my light. And I remember that, like my path had been illuminated. I had this light now in my life where I was walking with God and everything was different. He affected the, the people that I hung out with, the choices that I made, the things that I said, the things I believed. Remember your creator. Don't forget he's always present. And do it while you're still young. There's this sense of urgency, ASAP, right? Stat, the sooner the better. And the ironic truth was that I thought that life with God uh, wasn't going to be better. <laughs> I thought it was going to be worse. Like you're going to come in and you're going to just stop all the fun that I'm having and nothing's going to be, you know, it's just going to be a giant like, all right, fine. I'll... It, that's not what it was like at all. Life got better with him. And it's so backwards from the way we think. You know, we, we think that when God comes into our life, it's going to limit what we experience and limit life. Or, and it's not that way at all. So I hear people say often, you know, I'm going to enjoy my life now. And then I'll get to God when it's convenient. You know, when I, maybe there'll be a time when I'm done having my fun and enjoying life. Then I'll, I'll, I'll look him up and see maybe if, if there's a place for him in my life. That's terrible. The longer we run towards sin and away from God, the more empty life will be and the more consequences we're going to have to face. That's just the truth of it. Sin comes at a high cost. So hard living when you're young results in painful living when you're old. It, it's a fact. That's true physically, relationally, emotionally, and spiritually. So to that person who's putting God off right now, I would remind you that you may not have as much time as you think. You may end up in the ER on a Saturday when you don't expect it. You don't know what's going to happen. Life flies by, doesn't it? Isn't it amazing? I remember like as a kid when summer vacation would come, it felt like an eternity before school started again. And now, I mean, June was just a couple of weeks ago, wasn't it? I don't know how that works, but it speeds up. And the older you get, the more the pace seems to increase. So remember your creator before it's too late. Isaiah 55, 6 says, Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. He's near now. You know, when the day of your death approaches, what will you be concerned about? If you've ever been around somebody who's on their deathbed, they have a, a way of focusing on what really matters at that time. They're thinking about the life they've lived and the fact that they're going to stand before their creator very soon. 
It's, it's sad to see people who grow old and have no hope, no relationship with their creator, no peace, um, no joy, really. My, um, my father-in-law, a couple weeks back, got um, pretty sick, had a weird thing happen, and he ended up hospitalized, and it wasn't, it wasn't looking very good. He's, he turned 90 this year, uh, but he pulled through, and he's doing better right now. But I remember the comfort that I had in knowing that he couldn't be more ready sorry, to face his God. I mean, he was giddy about the idea, you know, when the time when, it, when he gets to finally go home and be with his God and he's ready. I mean, he's so ready. He's fought the good fight. He's run the race. He's kept the faith. And, and, and it's like, you, you know, when you just that that's expression, he's left it all on the field. There's nothing left for him to do. And he kind of knows that. So let's just call it a day and go home, be with Jesus. He's ready. It's so cool. So, you know, don't assume that a relationship with God will come later. Establish it now. Is God central in your life today? Is he the one that sustains you right now? Make it so. If God is holding his hand out to you today for, with salvation, don't swat it away. Don't be dumb. Right? Sorry, but didn't think you were going to get called dumb today, did you? Well... If the shoe fits, that's what my mom used to say. <laughs> Sorry. I'll get, I'll get back to my notes. You know, and, and by the way, I, I thought about this a lot when I was, how sad is it that, that we have to be told to remember God? I mean, it, it's, it's like, wow, that's, that's the condition of man. We have to be told to remember him. It's amazing all the times in the scriptures that God has to tell people to do this. Um, you know, it's like, hey, tie a string around your finger so you don't forget about me. It's like the idea. And, and in fact, they kind of did that in Numbers 15, starting in verse 38. This is what it says. Speak to the people of Israel and tell them to make tassels on the corners of their garments throughout their generations and to put a blue cord on the tassel of each corner. <laughs> so just imagine just you're walking and there's these little blue things flying around, Right. And it says this, and each tassel shall be for you to look at and to remember all the commandments of the Lord, to do them and not to follow after your own heart and your own eyes, which you're inclined to whore after. So you shall remember and do all my commandments and be holy to your God. Some of us could, could like, you know, do with a handful of blue tassels today, right? And to clip them on, we'll be handing them out after church. Dave's got a box of blue tassels, <laughs> to, you know, picks them out on your way. That, it, it's kind of like we need to be reminded of God and, and what we should be doing and how we should honor him. You know, this is why people in the Old Testament oftentimes would set up these memorials by piling up rocks so they would remember what God had done for them. And, and the idea was you, we sing a song about now I raise my Ebenezer. If you've ever wondered what that's talking about, you know, it's not screwed, just talking about one of these piles of rocks. This, I'm, I'm going to raise this monument so that when, when, when I rem I'll remember, God did this wonderful thing for me, and then I'll be cruising along, and someday I'll pass this thing again. I'll be like, oh, I remember. I remember that time when God did this. And we need to do that, by the way. You need to raise Ebenezer's in your life because there's times we start to forget how faithful he's been and how much he's brought us through. The rest of that song, you know, here I raise my Ebenezer, here by thy great help I've come. And I hope by thy good pleasure safely to arrive at home. So it's like, you, you've gotten me this far, God. And I know now, by, you know, I remember you're going to get me to the end as well. That's, that's the idea. So we set up these reminders to, to remember how faithful he is. In Deuteronomy chapter 6, 
God lets us know how important it is for people to continually be mindful of him. He wants his people to remember him continually. So it says this in Deuteronomy 6, starting in verse 5. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk about them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise. What does that cover? The whole day. That's, a, that's their, their way of saying 24-7, right? He goes on to say, You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes, and you shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. That the Jewish people would take this literally, and they would put these boxes on their foreheads with scriptures. They call them phylacteries, which is a fun word to say. You, know, you don't get to say phylacteries very often. But they would have these boxes on their heads with scriptures, and that was the idea. If you, I mean, it would drive you nuts to be looking at this thing all day. Everywhere you look, there's just this. But that was the idea. Don't forget. Remember your creator. All hours of the day, no matter where you go, no matter what you do, think of me. That's what God's saying. But think about how quickly the next generations would forget about God. They'd bring the law out and somebody would be like, oh, I've never heard about this. What's this called? The law? Oh, you know, they didn't, they didn't remember. They didn't do it. So we have this responsibility as Christians to, to continue this legacy. What, what we've been entrusted with, we're supposed to entrust to, to people who will be faithful to continue this thing. The opposite of remembering your creator is to ignore him. Or deny that he exists. And none of us would say we do that. But, but it sure looks that way a lot in our lives sometimes. I just have to be honest and say there's times when it just looks by the way people live, Christians live, that they, that they don't really act like he's real or he's there. We pretend he's not there so we can do the things we want to do very often. And this is how people in the world live their lives. You know, Romans 1 makes it clear that what can be known about God is plain. It's obvious. It's everywhere. You can't literally drive around Central Oregon without just being reminded of an, an amazing God, right? You see the mountains and you just go, you know, you can almost hear the music as you see them. They're just, it's majestic. I, I, Isaac Newton one time said, there's enough evidence in the human thumb to convince me that God is real. I think he said it differently than that, but that's the idea. So it's not that they can't figure out that he exists. It's that they, they don't want to. They don't want a Lord interfering with their life. You know, I've, I have kids that, that are this way right now. It drives me crazy. I've actually had a conversation with one of them. They're not here and they won't watch this. So <laughs> maybe someday. But I remember saying that one time. It's like, is it that you don't believe? And they said, no, it's not that. And I said, is it that you just don't want a Lord getting in your way? And they said, yeah, that's it. And it's just like, oh, you know, and it won't get in the way. It's going to be the best thing you can do. But it just seems you know, contrary to what they think. Remember your creator. What does he want us to remember or be mindful of? Well, he wants you to remember that he made you. He stamped you with his image. He created you for his glory and his purposes. You are precious to him. Remember that. Remember that you are utterly dependent upon him and that he holds your life and your eternity in his hands. The very next breath you take is dependent upon him. Never go through a day where you don't realize how dependent you are on him for everything. Remember that he sent his son to die in your place so that your sins can be forgiven and your life redeemed. If you will repent and believe that, you will be saved. 
You know, this is why we, we say at the door so often to preach the gospel to yourself every day. It's not because you need to be resaved every day. That's not the idea. It's that you need to constantly go to the cross and spend time thinking about who Jesus is and what he's done for you. He willingly gave himself for you. If that doesn't do something for you every day, I don't know what to say. That never gets old. That never gets tiresome. And it reminds me of my worth and my value and everything when I think about the fact that he forgave me for my sin. So remember that. This is part of why we, we uh, have communion. Remember Jesus said, by doing this, you proclaim my death, my work, until I come, do this in remembrance of me. He also wants us to remember the precious gift of life that he's given us. It matters to him what you do with it. He's holy. One day we'll stand before him and give an account for what we've done with this life, right? He also wants us to remember his commands because they lead us to life and joy. So if we ignore all of these things, We'll see the results of it. We'll see what unfolds, and it won't be good. We, we see people doing this all the time and, and what results from it, and it really is um, just disheartening to see. So enjoy your youth while you have it, but don't leave God out. The author's point is that you can, you can um, enjoy life easier when you're young, right? So take advantage of it. You have strength. You have energy. You have vitality. Um, those things don't last forever, <laughs> right? They go away at some point. Uh, the older people are nodding their heads right now, and I'm not that old, but I'm, I'm right there right now. I remember just feeling invincible when I was young. Um, you know, I, I, the thought of growing old didn't even enter into my minds, and now here I am in my mid-50s. Um, you know, I went to see a movie in the theater <laughs> a couple weeks ago. I haven't done that in a long time. I almost qualified <laughs> for the senior discount I mean, it wasn't that far away. And I just remember thinking, what happened, man? I used to be uh, the, the person that never had to write anything down. I just remembered. I didn't have to do it. A um, couple of weeks back, I missed a meeting here at the church. I get a call from Chad. I'm the guy that reminds the guys about the meeting, right? I don't miss the meetings. I tell them not to miss the meetings. Chad calls me at home. It's like 6 o'clock. I'm just in my comfies getting ready to sit down and settle in for the night. And he's like, are you okay? And I'm like, yeah, I'm great. Feeling good. Why? He's like, there's a meeting tonight and you're not here. And it's like, oh, my goodness. Uh, that, you know, it's just a matter of time before I start handing out fruitcake at Christmas. I mean, that's, <laughs> that's where we're at. Oldness, oldness sneaks up on you. And I don't know when it happened or how it happened, but it's like, oh, no, you know, here it is. This is cheesy, but it made me laugh when I saw this. It said, uh, it, it's, it's uh, been well said that a sign of the onset of old age is when your knees buckle, but your belt won't. <laughs> and today I was, I was doing something, and I bent down, and my knee kind of did that thing, and I went, oh. So, so literally enjoy your youth, but, but remember your creator, the decisions you make, when you're young, will impact the direction of your life. If God is part of your life when you're young and you enjoy communion and companionship with him now, that will carry you into your later years. And you're going to need that according to what Solomon writes next. Because verses 1 through 7 are, are this long, run-on sentence where Solomon is going to describe the not-so-fun journey of growing old. One commentator suggested that the sentence is long on purpose because it will leave the reader out of breath by the end of it. 
making the reality of getting old, you know, even more clear. So it's really uh, kind of a fun passage. I don't know if you've ever read through it or, or looked at it before. It, it always reminds me of my grandparents when I used to I used to go to a cabin in McCall every summer with them, and they they were pretty old at the time. They were older than me, I'm pretty sure. Uh, and they would they would invite their friends over, and you know, one of the first things they would they were also old. I don't think you can say geezers, but they were all geezers, They're really old. And they would get together, and one of the first things they would say was like, oh, how are you guys doing? And it's like, oh, no, here it comes. You know, and the next 30 minutes would just be them talking about, oh, they're, you know, this is flaring up, and that's not working anymore, and these are the meds I'm on, and I have this surgery coming up. And it was like, oh, man, I hope when I get that age, I don't do that kind of stuff. And I'm already doing it. I was at my daughter, she had a birthday party a couple weeks ago, and there's a bunch of people that hadn't seen me. They knew I had heart surgery, and I, so they would come up and say, oh, how are you doing? And I'm just, pretty soon, I find myself saying, well, you know, I, I, and I'm go, I, I'm, you know, I got home that night, and I thought, just say fine. <laughs> they don't want to know. But I was right in the mix, you know? So, Fine. But this is what we see in the next passage. It's, it's this poetic way of describing what it's like to get old. And it's not meant to be a gripe session. It's not like whining about getting old. It really is meant to motivate us to live the fullest life we can for the Lord while we can. So take advantage of, of youth while you have it, right? So he starts out by reminding us that a day is coming when it will be hard for us to enjoy life. In verse 1, I'm just going to start again. Remember also your creator in the days of your youth before the evil days come. <laughs> it's like, oh boy. And the years draw near of which you will say, I have no pleasure in them before the sun and the light and the moon and the stars are darkened and the clouds return after the rain. So the idea is that when you're young, even in the darkest times, there's, there's light that, you know, breaks through the clouds. There's those times of hope and renewal that come. But, but apparently when you get old, ain't no sunshine <laughs> coming through. So, so he describes old age as this continual gloomy thing with nothing to look forward to. Um, it's depressing. Verse three, he says, in the day when the keepers of the house tremble, and, and I believe this is talking about the legs, uh, you'll get to the point where this is what's holding you up. You know, this is the foundation of the structure and, and they'll begin to tremble. It says, and the strong men are bent. And you can just picture that. Yeah, if your back goes and you've got that, you know, you're walking around with that thing going on. Not good. It says the grinders cease because they are few. That's talking about your teeth, right? <laughs> Not, not too many of them left. And this was like pre-dentures, I think. So, yeah, I, would, I don't know. They might have had wooden dentures or something. I don't know. I'm not a historian. Sheesh. And then it says, and those who look through the windows are dimmed. This is talking about your eyes. You know, this is, see, Jordan can probably read that from back there. So I can relate to this. And then he goes on to say in verse 4, and the doors on the street are shut when the sound of grinding is low. This is our hearing. We can't hear anything anymore. But then it goes on to describe this. One rises up at the sound of a bird, and all the daughters of song are brought low. So you want to sleep so bad, and, and you can't hear what you want to hear, the, the songs of the daughters, but that bird, like, you hear that? I mean, how does that work? That's what he's describing. My wife can attest to this selective hearing thing that, that happens when you get older. I don't know what it is, but you just... You don't hear like you used to. Verse 5 says, they are also afraid of what is high and terrors in the way. And this one is true too, you know. The things that we used to do when we were young, you didn't even think twice about it. Say, yeah, I can, yeah, I can jump across that or whatever. You would never think to do that when you get older. And I, I remember even my kids when they were little, um, they would fall down an entire flight of stairs. And it was like they were made out of rubber. <laughs> and I think if that happened to me right now, I mean, I don't know. It just wouldn't be good. So... 
you know, you're afraid of terrors. There's all these things now that you were never afraid of before, but now you're thinking, oh man, I better not, I better not go near that. You know, it's like, it's a curb. It's okay. You know, no, I don't, I don't take any chances. And then it says that the almond tree blossoms. This is uh, if you've ever seen an almond tree blossom, pure white. So you have the idea of a white head of hair. The grasshopper drags itself along. Again, you think about what a grasshopper's like when they're, when they're in their prime, man. They're just, they have spring and they're just moving, they're bouncing, they're full of energy. And then it gets to the point where they're just, you know, all you see are these bony things sticking out and they're just moving along at a slow pace. <laughs> That's what they're describing. And then the last one, it says, um, and desire fails. Um, and this is uh, the, the King James, I think it's, it uses the word caperberry. And the caperberry was used as a, uh, it was like a stimulant for appetite or kind of an aphrodisiac, honestly. So it, it talks about the different appetites we have. It would stimulate those. So the idea, again, that, you know, desire fails. The, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak is the idea here. Verses 6 through 8, Solomon uses several phrases that people have speculated as their meaning. But, but they really are, they're kind of idioms that were probably commonly known what they meant then. And now we don't fully know what they mean. So we use phrases like kick the bucket or pushing up daisies. And we know what that means. It refers to death. But, you know, 100 years from now, people would be like, what are you talking about? Yeah, the guy kicked the bucket. And be like, I don't know. So that's kind of what these are. But they all definitely, you know, have the idea of life ending. And they're all related to water, which often symbolizes life. So he talks about the silver cord being snapped, the golden bowl broken, the pitcher shattered at the fountain, and the wheel broken at the cistern. I, I can't tell you. Commentators talk about, well, this is the spinal cord and this is the skull. And I don't know. It may be, but it, we know that they all basically say life is coming to an end. And then that's confirmed when it says the dust returns to the earth as it was and the spirit returns to God who gave it. But then he says vanity of vanities again, says the preacher, all is vanity. And it, it's kind of odd that, that, you know, the way we thought about how he says vanity, he often ties that phrase to, you know, it's like chasing the wind. It's just meaningless. But, but that word can also mean uh, vapor. So it's the Hebrew word is hebel, and it really is the idea of um, smoke or something you just can't figure out or get a hold of. So it would be weird for him to say that, you know, use it in the way we were talking about meaningless here, because he's basically saying you're going to die, you're going to go to your eternal home, and your spirit is going to return to God. Meaningless, you know, that just, what's the point? I mean, that wouldn't make sense here, but the idea of vapor, or, or as, as James kind of says it, um, what is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. I think Solomon is trying to, to get us to understand the brevity of life, how quick it is. It's certain it comes to everyone, but we don't know when it will come. So remember your creator as soon as possible. Because we're talking about eternity here. You know, life is fast. Eternity lasts forever. We want to get this right. It's a popular idea or notion today that, that when somebody dies, that's it. There's nothing beyond that. A lot of people like to think that way and believe that. And I think we've seen the result of that in our society. If that's true, nothing matters. What's the point, right? And that's kind of also what Solomon's getting at here. Then, then you, you might as well just, you know, eat, drink, and be merry for tomorrow you die. So live it up and do the best you can. If you think that there is no God and that we're just here as a random act of chance, I mean, that's where we get kind of the idea of evolution and, and the results of that teaching. Um, it doesn't, it doesn't, the results aren't good. If you tell somebody they're an animal, guess what? They'll start to act like, you know? Yeah, I guess I'll just, but if you tell somebody that they're created in the image of God, that they're precious, that they'll stand before him one day and give an account, and that will determine where they spend their eternity, that'll get your attention, right? You should take that very seriously. And, and this is exactly what the writer hopes will happen as he explains why he's written these things, starting in verse 9. 
He says, besides being wise, the preacher also taught people knowledge, weighing and studying and arranging many proverbs with great care. The preacher sought to find words of delight, and uprightly he wrote words of truth. The words of the wise are like goads. A goad is like a sharp stick that you would use to get an ox where you wanted it to go. The words of the wise are like goads, and like nails firmly fixed are the collected sayings. They are given by one shepherd. My son, beware of anything beyond these. Of making many books there is no end, and much study is a weariness of the flesh. So, So that these things have been written down for us to read and to learn from is a grace of God. Don't ignore these words because they've been inspired by the Holy Spirit. They've been preserved for us to benefit from. And the Bible is filled with with wisdom for life. It's meant to be like a sharp stick that gets us where we're supposed to be, right? It's supposed to guide us and, and protect us, preserve us, keep us from harm. It's meant to be like a nail that holds us fast and gives us stability and a strong foundation. That's what God's word is. It, I love that he says God's word is the voice of one shepherd speaking to us. One voice, one consistent, unified story. That's what the Bible is. Verse 12, you hear him pleading, my son, you can hear the heart of a father in this. My son, beware of anything beyond these words. <laughs> There's a lot of people that, that try to go beyond these words and give you wisdom for life and give you what you should believe and what you should accept and what you shouldn't do and all these things. If it's not found in here, he's saying, beware, be careful with that kind of stuff. You know, there's, there's never been a time when I've found it so hard to figure out what truth is. If you're trying to, you just get online and try to discover truth, it's almost impossible. God's word is truth. In John 17, Jesus said, your word is truth. We don't have to look beyond this to know this is something we can stand on and rest our weight upon, and it will not let us down. This is the voice of the shepherd. And Jesus said, right, my sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. So what that means is, if you have no interest in hearing his word and following what it says, there's a better than good chance that you're not a sheep. I don't say that in a judgmental way. I'm just, you know, it, that's what it's telling us. I remember this very clearly before I, you know, back in my goat days, before I was a sheep, I didn't want to do what God's word said. I had no interest in pleasing the Father. I had no interest in following the word. I didn't want to know what it said. I didn't want to do what it did or do what it told me to do. I didn't care. And after I became a Christian, I couldn't, I just ate it up. I wanted to know what it said. If it told me I needed to do something, I went, okay, I need to do that. It was, it was that kind of thing. I don't know where that came from. It wasn't there before. Actually, I do know where it came from, but we'll get to that in a second. Um, this is important. Because one day we're going to stand before the Father, and what's he going to say to you? Do you ever think about that? Do you ever think about that moment where you, you come into his presence and you give that kind of an account for what you did with his son and with his word and the way you've lived your life? I mean, we all want to hear, well done, good and faithful servant, right? Enter into my rest. But, but are we living like that now? We can. Remember your creator. Okay, the writer wraps it all up for us in, in verse 13. He says this. The end of the matter, all has been heard. Fear God and keep his commandments. That's pretty simple. Fear God and keep his commandments. For this is the whole duty of man. For God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil. So there it is. That's the end of the matter. Fear him. Do what he wants. 
Saul, yeah, no, amen. It's like, <laughs> make it simple for us. There it goes. Solomon's research is complete. Like he's turned in his paper, and here's the verdict. I love that, that Solomon was extremely thorough. He spared no expense. He spared no time on this. He turned over every rock. He really did a good job of, of looking at this. And this, we can, you know, we can trust his conclusions. This is what he came up with. There is nothing and no one that can satisfy our heart except God. That's it. Search is over. The best thing we can do with this life is stop limiting our perspective and stop living under the sun and start living above the sun in a relationship with our God who made us. He's offered that to us. We get to do that. Trust God and do what he says. You know, that message hasn't varied. It's, it's what he wanted Adam and Eve to do in the garden. Trust me and do what I say. That's it. Well, what, what are the commands of God? What, what is he asking us to do? What does he want us to keep? And it's really easy for us to overcomplicate this and become overwhelmed in keeping God's commands, especially if you're not a good command keeper. Like, you know, I'm, my name is Brent Maxwell and I stink at keeping commands. Especially when it comes to the, when you look at the Old Testament, you try to read that and understand all the civil and ceremonial laws. There's like 613 laws. You know, it's like, good luck with that. That sounds, you know, daunting. But Jesus simplifies it for us. In Matthew 22, he gives us a helpful summary of what it all boils down to. And so when they came to Jesus and said, Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And Jesus said this. We've already read this. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. And now listen to what he says. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. So, so he's really saying, I, I'm summing it up for you. If, if you love God and you love people, it's going to cover all the things he wants us to do. Okay, so even if you think about the Ten Commandments, they're either broken into ways that we love God and ways that we love people. That's what those are, all right? Now, some of you may be thinking to yourself, well, that's, that's really nice that Jesus made it concise. I appreciate that. But that still doesn't make it easy. <laughs> if you're, you know, again, I'm not good at keeping 613. I'm not good at keeping 10. I'm not very good at keeping two. Right? And you're right. Apart from being made a new creation by God, none of this would be possible. But, but I love what it says in John 6. Uh, this is kind of the key to it. Um, they come to Jesus. It starts in verse 28. And they're asking him, what must we do to do the works of God? So they're saying, what, what, how do we keep the commandments? What do, we, what do we need to do? And Jesus answered this. This is the work of God that you believe in him whom he has sent. So he's saying, believe in me. I can do that. I can do that. I can believe in Christ. I can believe in what he's done for me. I can do that. And the amazing thing that happens is when we believe and we are born of the spirit, when we believe in his, his, his substitutionary work on the cross, I'm talking you know, life, death, burial, resurrection for our sins. When we believe that and he becomes our Lord and Savior, something changes. Our, our stony heart that, that is against God, that doesn't want to love God or love people, is changed. He gives us a heart of flesh, he says. And he writes his law on our heart. And he, and he gives us his spirit that wants to obey that, that wants to do what pleases him. And all of a sudden, our desires begin to fall in line with who he is and what he's done and what he wants from us. It makes it possible. So the end of the things is that we would fear God, bow before him, and give him our lives so that we can follow his commands. It's because of Jesus that we can do these things, though. And he says this is the whole duty of man. 
And the word duty was added to help with the translation, but I kind of like what it says without it. Because without it, it says, this is the whole of man. <laughs> this is everything. This is the totality of life. This is the missing piece of the puzzle. He's the one who completes us. You know, it's crazy the things we think are going to complete us in this world. No, just him. He's the only one that can. He's, you know, this is the, the itch we can't scratch, the thirst we can't quench, the hole in our soul that we don't, can't figure out how to fill. It's him. It's God. So be reconciled to him. This is the only answer to the meaningless, meaninglessness that exists apart from God in this life. And then life is no longer vanity. Then we are no longer chasing after wind. We've finally found what we are looking for. And that's the, that's the point of Ecclesiastes. That's, that's the point of this book is that we do have an answer. God could have left us to fend for ourselves under the sun, but he sent Jesus who broke through to come to us. God mercifully provided a remedy. And, and it is represented by what we're about to take in communion. Uh, the remedy is Jesus. It's his broken body for you. It's his blood shed for you. And in believing in who Jesus is and what he's done for us, we can experience life and forgiveness and reconciliation with the one who made us and begin to enjoy life with him above the sun. Uh, Father, we are grateful. We, we understand our sinfulness. We understand uh, our need for you, we understand that there is no other way. There is no other way to be reconciled to you apart from your son. And so we, we understand the expensive nature of what is said on this table before us, the cost that it, that, it, that it was to you to send your son to be crushed on our behalf, that he would become our substitute on the cross, that, that his body would be broken and that his blood would be shed instead of ours is a gift we can never repay. But Lord, we can, we can thank you and we can, we can try to live a life that pleases you by the power of the Spirit. We, we know that we can't do it in ourselves, but we know that through you we can. And so we just ask, Father, that we would enjoy this time where we worship you and thank you. This is done in remembrance of you. And we do remember our Creator now in Jesus' name. Amen.